I'm Ryan Christian. Welcome to Moving Target, my Rockman exclusive. Now, this show tends to focus on, on predominantly censorship and in general trying to focus on those that are fighting through the censorship and and having their voices heard in a time that's in unprecedented suppression. But today is a special discussion. I, I recently saw somebody online that was doing their best to, to draw attention to something that we're all seeing take place. And I wanted to take this and make it a personal discussion today and highlight Adam Rowland's story and what he's going through and, and the actions he's trying to take to raise awareness about the people in his position that are not getting the attention they deserve from the people, by the way, that are increasingly being shown to be aware of the problems around the injections that we're discussing today. So I'm going to bring Adam in to discuss his story and what he's trying to do to raise awareness around this um, and, and just kind of help that draw attention to what's going on. So, Adam, how are you today? Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm really glad to um, be on, Ryan, so I'm really pleased to be on with you. Um, how am I today? Um, my life's quite different today um, since I had the vaccines. Um, I have to take my life day by day. Um, I literally don't know what I'm going to be capable of, you know, from minute to minute, sometimes in the day. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm grateful for being here each day. Um, you know, I've been wow. some pretty dark places been some pretty dark places in the hospital you know mm. crash crash trolley next to my bed you know um, panic on the nurses faces calling the doctors so you know thinking i was going to die and um, so i've been to some scary places um and, and and every day yeah i don't know what the future holds for me having spoken to the doctors you know they can't give me a time frame um so it's completely changed my life and changed my identity um but what what i am what i wanted to do ryan and i'm grateful for you having me on the show today is um this stuff means a lot for me now because it's, you know, I think you never think it's going to happen to you. Um, and, you know, I've been completely shocked on how I've been treated. How as a group of people we're being treated in the UK, um, not being acknowledged by the mainstream media. Um, and I just, I just want people to know what's really going on and what happens when it goes wrong. Right. And if I can help somebody, you know, if I can help someone and um, I've done my job and, and, you know, this is my purpose now. You know, I can't go back to my old life as much as I want to, um, you know, unless I get a bit of a miracle. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. I'm really grateful to be on and, and just talk about yeah. it. Well, thank you for joining me. And that's definitely the right mentality to have is, you know, it's very easy to fall into a <clears throat> endless pit of despair. <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, with, with all that's going on and lose yourself in that. So it's it's commendable that you're trying to make a difference with with the bad situation that it is. Now, and we'll get into this and, and what you went through and and which injection we're talking about and how it changed your life. Uh, now, Adam Rowland is, uh, as his, as his uh, account and shows, is a physiotherapist in, involved in rehabilitation, and he has a, a master's of science a degree. Uh, anything else you wanted to add to that in regard to your background? I mean, to be before you even say that, just so it's clear, not that somebody needs a background to be able to discuss the injuries they're they're dealing with because of these injections. But nonetheless, let us know, if, you know, what your background is, anything other than that. Yeah, no, I, you know, obviously went to university, got an undergraduate degree in rehabilitation, did a master's in physical therapy hmm. um, and then did my postgrad. Um, I think it's actually an American qualification, uh, CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Hmm. Um, I spent the last 20 years working in pro sport, um, lucky enough to work a broad range of sports, uh, worked in professional ballet actually for a bit, uh, worked in professional rugby for most of my career, a little bit in professional soccer, um, not very much to be to be honest there. 
uh, worked with the military overseas on an operational base um, and also worked on the PGA Golf Tour over, the, over there in America mm. with a couple of high-profile golfers there. So I've, um, you know, I've had a very, very privileged career, uh, very grateful for the life I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I just, I just hope I can bring some of those skills now to, to tell my story because, um, yeah, it's been horrific. It's been horrific rain. Well, I mean, that's interesting because it's not a far reach statement or it's not a reaching statement to say you're a bit of an expert when it comes to the rehabilitation and the body and, and what it deals with. And I think that's an obvious overlap to what we're talking about today. Well, I mean, that's my opinion. Would you agree with that? Yeah, without I don't want to be sound, um, you know, no, I did or anything. I mean, I actually yeah. grad, I actually graduated up to the position of head of medical. You know, you don't become a head of medical in a professional sports teams, you know, right, right. Uh, if you don't know your stuff. So. You know, you know, working alongside consultants, cardiologists, respiratory consultants, doctors. Right. So, you know, I, I would say I've got a good general knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mean to put to you say. in a position to agree with you being called an expert. I apologize <laughs> for that. I meant, I meant the second part of that. <laughs> Just that, I, from my perspective, that puts you in a position to be, you know, the, the, your per opinions about what's happening. I, th- I just find that to be have a, you have more insight in this topic than most. Let's put it that way. So, so let's start off with you know, where this began for you. Uh, I mean, go into it as deep as you feel you want to, but, you know, where were you when this all started and your perspectives around it and and then bring us to where you decided to get the shot and, you know, maybe why? Was there any coercion involved in that? And and we'll go from there. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because I was over in the USA when it all started. So I was working on the PGA Golf Tour. Um, I remember it quite vivid, vividly. I was working on the players, the players tournament in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of the earlier competitions in the season of the tour. Um, we played day one. I think it was round, round one. Oops, sorry. We played round one or round two. And then Jay Moynihan, the PGA Tour guy, came on and said we were suspending suspending all play on the PGA Tour. Um, and then, you know, I sat, sat in the um, the villa in the evening time with the caddies, etc. who was staying with. And, you know, President mm-hmm. Trump comes on the, the TV and saying, you know, there's going to be a, a lockdown of America. You know, the COVID epidemic that we've been hearing about from China has, has hit. So, you know, I had to have a decision to make there, you know, that, you know, I need to get home to the family in the UK. So literally booked a flight the next day, myself and all the British colleagues on the tour scrambling for flights. And we, we booked a flight, you know, we all got a flight home. It just, if I can just interject really quickly, I mean, it's just so, just right out of the gate, it's just so incredible to see somebody that's being put in a position to literally choose between a career that they've built up their entire life and getting forced an injection that's, you know, at the very least is still being tested on people, you know, and so that's right out of the gate, you can see that this is being, you were being coerced into this, whether you wanted to do it or not. I think that's important people to see. Well, Please yeah, I, I, I like to give a balanced side as well, Ryan. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you the full, I'll try and keep it brief, the full story. Oh, please. So go basically, ahead. then, um, after getting back to the UK, the PJ Tour slowly started up without fans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we got special dispensation from Homeland Security and the US government where I could come back to the USA for six months without needing any vaccination because there was no vaccinations anyway, right, at that time. Mm hmm. So between May 2020, I think it was, and the rest of the, till the end of 2020, we got like a grace period off the PGA. Um, And then obviously then, you know, the US made a law that any foreign nationals coming into the US to protect their citizens, you know, we had to be vaccinated. So, you know, that's where it led me to get the vaccinations. Yeah. 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 So so then, okay. 
yeah, so that the first vaccination was literally as quick as I could get it. It was January 2021. It was the mm-hmm. AstraZeneca vaccine in the UK. Any any uh, insight into why you chose AstraZeneca versus something else? Um, yeah, I would never have chosen it. We didn't get a choice in the UK at that right. time, Ryan. Right. Um, it was literally, we'd made this. We were telling the world that we'd made our own vaccine, how great we were. Um, you know, and then this was the first one available. Um, and it was like, you, you know, you have this vaccine if you, if you want to get vaccinated. Right. Right. So again, you know, lack of options in general. So, so then you take this, this injection in, 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 in order to continue your life as usual, which, you know, I just, I just personally take a lot of issue with just that general construct, whether or not people feel that it was necessary for safety or so on. It's, it's just, I have a really big issue when it comes to personal choice. I think we all should, you know, where it shouldn't be something that you have to decide based on your job. But so you end up taking this injection. And so then what followed? Was it right away that you felt some stuff happening or was it a longer period of time? Yeah, what I'd say is a little bit of both. I mean, there was some stuff right away, which wasn't too severe. So I was literally um, in bed for four days, which I'd describe as the worst fever I'd ever had. So sweating, shaking, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I just thought, well, it's a bad virus. We're being told, you know, I'm just a bit sensitive to the injection. Um, And then what I would say is then is I didn't feel quite right. But, um, you know, I wasn't worried at all. Um, So I started, um, I'd say about two or three weeks later, my wife noticed that um, I was starting to have fits in bed at nighttime, trying to go to sleep. And I'd wake up in the night with these like violent you know, these little violent, you know, I don't know what they were, like little, you know, severe jerks, but I was flailing my arms and my body about. I'd wake up with severe pain down my left side, my arm and my leg. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, think too much of it. But, you know, it was like, you know, you better call your doctor. So I sort of called my doctor. Um, and, you know, again, I, I want to give a balanced side, but I phoned my GP up and he said to me, oh, we couldn't get a face-to-face appointment with our doctors in the UK at this time because they were all closed because of COVID. Mm. So I hadn't been to my doctors in like 20 years, but the only thing on my old record was in 2014, I'd had some like depression. So straight away I phoned my GP up and he went, Oh, it sounds like a panic attack. And I was like, "Uh, it doesn't really sound like a panic attack to me. Um, You know, I said, I've never had one, but I, so I I wouldn't know what it felt like, you know? So I just sort of thought, all right, okay. And went along with it. Um, but then what happened, uh, Ryan, is over the preceding next few weeks from January to March, um, like the, the symptoms got worse and worse. And I started to get what, what I now know are palpitations in my heart. And I started to get like ectopic heartbeats and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got to March time again and I phoned up my GP again. Same old story. You know, he says, oh, it's, um, you know, it, it sounds like, um, like, you know, depression, etc." So this time he said to me, you know, you need to, why, do, why don't we try you on a medication, a depression medication, right? And you still haven't seen the doctor at this so point? So I discussed it. You, you still no, haven't seen the doctor? No. My God, that's just incredible that we no, can be prescribing no. drugs before even actually seeing the doctor. Please continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my, you know, my wife was like, you know, sort of concerned seeing me and she said, you know, what, you know, why don't we try it? So... I tried these drugs and literally it made me even worse. It was horrendous. It made the symptoms even worse. So I phoned him straight back and he was like, oh, it's just the wrong drug for you. And he, this went on for about three three or four weeks. They just kept switching the drug. And then I just said, look, 
I said, them drugs aren't for me. I said, it's not, it's not helping me. Um, and I said to him, look, can, you know, I'm getting to, I said, I'm getting all these funny things in my chest and pains in my chest. Hmm. I said, you know, can we, can we do something about it? And he was like, no, he said, it's just anxiety, you know, just let it settle down. So then, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's what's essentially happened. Um, and then by this time then, um, you know, I was, I, I carried on and then a few weeks, a few weeks later, I uh, got to May 2021 and I got the second injection, right. Um, and that's when all hell broke loose after that. So right there, what, and before I even ask about that, make sure anybody out there who is the, in, in, in Adam's position, who is having heart palpitations or, I mean, even Dr. Bhakti expert in this, in, in, in this discussion has re, has spoken up from the beginning saying, even if you have a, a weird pain or think things, you know, it could be a blood clot. Like the point is if you have heart issues, and your doctor's telling you it's anxiety, demand something that looks further. I, I've had for somebody just on a personal note, Adam, in my family, similar situation where we were being told it was just in their head and so on and forced and forced and forced until they did find a blood clot. And so, and the, it's, it's, this is happening all over the world. I just think it's absolutely amazing that we're at a point and this doctor should be ashamed of himself. In my opinion, I'm sorry if you know him personally, that they're, that they're, they're prescribing drugs and continuing to guess without actual diagnosis. You know, how is that even possible? Yeah, it just it makes me upset that people are being forced and drugs have all sorts of dangerous side effects as we're as we're seeing, you know. Anyway, if yeah, you have yeah. a comment on that, I was going to ask you about the next shot. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I mean, like you say about misdiagnosis and things like that, we'll get to that later. But um, so I have the next shot and then immediately after the, the next shot within a week, 10 days, you know, I was still working out at this point, bench pressing, you know, massive weights, still still doing my fitness and everything really high standard. But straight away, it was getting like, it felt like someone had put a belt around on my chest, horrendous chest cramps here. And I was like, mm. oh, something's not right here. So I went straight to the, um, uh, went straight to the, like the ER, we call it the A&E in the UK. Um, you know, they put, they did the standard blood tests on me, which are full blood count and troponin, which is checking for a heart attack. Right. They put an ECG on me um, and cut a long story short there. They just went, oh yeah you you know you must have had a panic attack or something so i was like right um, wow you know so they said so they said we're going to write to your doctor again say it's panic and anxiety so um by this point uh after that i went i went back home um i'd actually passed out in between i passed out shortly after this um and then what happened off the back of that was i decided to take it into my own hands then so um, I phoned up one of the cardiologists that used to work with me at one of the old sports teams that I worked alongside. There you go. Um, I, phoned, I phoned him up and I said, Rich, I said, look, I've had a few things going on, palpitations. I said, I've been to the hospital. I said, my doctor's telling me it's anxiety. Uh, I, said, I said, I don't think it is, Rich. Um, I, I said, but, you know, can you, can you help me, basically? Uh, and he said, well, you know, he said, it probably is anxiety, but he said, what I'll do is, he said, um, he said, just just come by. Uh, I'll put you a 24-hour ECG tape on. We'll record your heart and hopefully put your mind at rest. There you go. So obviously, lo and behold, um, mm -hmm. you know, I went and did that. And then he gives me a phone call a couple of days later. And he said, um, yeah, he said, we've found something on your ECG. So I said, all right, okay, what, what's that then? He said, well, he said, you know, when you're going dizzy and you're saying that you feel like you're going to pass out, you know, you keep getting these episodes. I said, yeah, right. He said, your heart's going into VT. Um, and now I don't remember any, you know, anything about VT, but it's basically, you know, it's one of the most, well, it is probably the most dangerous 
arrhythmia in the heart is it's basically one of the causes of sudden death. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. he was rightly concerned. Um, so he said to me, you know, you need a, a cardiac MRI. He said, I'm going to refer you for one. Um, he said, this is going to take a few weeks. So he said, in the meantime, he said, you know, if you've got any more fainted passing out, you know, any more severe chest pain, he said, you need to go to the ER. Man, did, um, did you share this with the doctor you were you were speaking with before him? Did you let him know that the another doctor I, has said, go ahead. I, I didn't. I didn't because I, um, yeah, I, I didn't. I did not. No. Any particular reason? Um, did you so just... basically what happened was just because um, I'd lost a bit of trust, if, you, if I'm honest with you, Ryan, that, yeah, you know, what... I kept going to this doctor. You know, I must have phoned him like three times, maybe even more, you know, it was at least three times telling mm -hmm. him I don't feel right. Um, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, it's anxiety and not to be taken seriously. So right. it, it, you kind of, um, when somebody says it's in your head, um, I should have known better because of my own standing, but you do question yourself a little bit. Of course, of course, you know, it's, it's hard to be, you know, especially with kind of in this insurmountable top down effort to say that you look anywhere in the news or anywhere else, the general consensus is no, it's mostly, you know, everything we're talking yeah. about today. And the, the sad part is the very first thing that should have been done by that doctor was in investigation to make sure it wasn't the potentially deadly thing, as opposed to putting that aside yeah. and assuming it was the less problematic thing. That's not what an honest, I mean, I, I shouldn't, I'm not going to judge, but that's not what the right pr process should have been. Um, I have a couple of questions in general in regard, first of all, what was there any trepidation for you to get the second shot? Like when you, so you'd already had a little bit of concern, something was going on. Was there any pressure to get that second shot or were you just feeling like you were going through the motions and that was what you were supposed to do? You know, can you give me your thought process there? Yeah, I feel a total idiot, Ryan. Um, I didn't even give it a second thought. So because I've never really had, well, I've never had illness in my life, right? Mm -hmm. I was super fit, um, you know, and these guys were telling me it was a bit of anxiety and I just thought, you know, whatever it is, a bit of a virus, whatever. I did not even give it a second thought. And I, I just got the shot because I thought, you know, I need to do this for my job and my living. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't even question it. And, and and when I look back now, you know, this is why doctors weren't picking it up because it was like, you know, because you didn't have an immediate reaction where I didn't drop down dead immediately after the shot, right? right? It was like, it was never questioned, you know? It was, it was insane when you think back. And a lot of those doctors, not to give them necessarily a pass, but, you know, this is the problem with the medical community, I argue today in general, but it's been this way for a while. I mean, I know per doctors personally that will tell me this, that how, you know, medical school has changed as opposed to being taught to diagnose and understand why this means that there it's more so today that, that you see this problem. This is the right treatment. You know, it's a, it's a binary kind of concept. And, and that's, that's kind of the problem today is that a lot of these doctors were told this is what you're likely seeing. And so then they, that's what passes through. It may not be, you know, it doesn't have to be malicious or nefarious. They just are doing what they're told. And that's the sad problem we're seeing. And people like you are falling through the cracks and it's a lot more than I think people want to realize today. Yeah. And I don't want to go off topic too much, just to set the scene for your viewers a little bit. Our healthcare mm -hmm. system in the UK is very different to yours. Mm -hmm. So essentially in a nutshell, the government take national insurance out of our wages besides tax. And that pays for our healthcare system. Now, then it's considered free for everybody and everybody gets the same care. Mm -hmm. However, because of the constraints of the system, we, you know, we have a lot of immigration, uh, illegal immigration problem, a, a massive one in the UK. I don't want to just blame that. These people need health care. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the system is, is breaking everywhere. 
So what the doctors do is they have a checklist, a tick box, so they don't see the individual in front of them, which is my critique. So they've not looked at my medical history and seen how fit I am, even though, you know, if the questions, they could have seen my resting heart rate was 38, right? You know, so they go through a tick box and they perform this tick box. And if you don't fit that criteria, there's no autonomy and experience, right? you know, it's like, that's what they do. And then see you later, you're out the door. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, there's no way, to, I, I don't even understand how someone could rationalize that being a better system or any, I mean, that to me, that is lean, leaning into the betterment of the, the structure, the flow of the structure or the flow. Like it's not in the best interest of the patient, which is what the entire system is supposed to be about. And so it, it makes, yeah. at the very least, we should be asking, what is it in the best interest of them? Money, you know, as something, I mean, the point is it's not in the best interest of the patient and that's, it's unfortunate. Um, I, w- I also wanted to ask you in general, I, f- I, me- I forgot to ask this in the beginning, just for those that might be interested in, in you, th- those that might have the question about whether this is related to something other than the injection, which is a valid question to ask. Were you ever diagnosed yeah. or told that you had COVID or tested for that at any point throughout this? Yeah. So uh, to the best of my knowledge, I've never, ever had COVID. Um, now, after, um, after 2020 and before I could go back to the US and have two injections, Mm-hmm. I was working in professional rugby at a club called Warrington Wolves. So because I was working in a professional sports team, we were um, lateral flow tested every single day mm. and also PCR tested once a week. Now, I know that those tests, you know, you can critique those tests. Mm-hmm. But as soon as anybody in our squad, if we got more than two players with COVID in the squad, the whole organization had to shut down in the UK at that time. So, no, I never had COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's important. You know, whether, you know... The point is based on their structure and the system and testing and so on, you're being told you never had it. So that's an important caveat, you know, or addition to the story for people yeah. to understand. So now back back to the discussion. So you're, you've taken shot two, it got exponentially worse, and you're still being told that it's in your head. So where did this, where did this change? At what point were you convinced or, you know, that this was something other than what you were being told? And what was the dis- further discussion with the secondary doctor? Yeah, yeah. So you know how you said at the beginning, Ryan, that you said that you know my credentials were pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Maybe. Well, I feel an absolute idiot when I tell you this next bit. So uh, your viewers might have a little chuckle. So yeah, so I I got the ECG. My colleague says to me, you know, if anything happens, you need to go to the hospital. Um, so I got another episode before getting the scan. Um, I phoned him up and he said, get yourself to the hospital straight away. Um, he said, take along your copy of your ECG, showing him the VT in your heart. So to be fair to them, I took, I went to the ER again. I said, look, I've nearly passed out again. I said, I feel terrible. Here's my ECG. They took one look at it, and then they admitted me onto ACU, which is like below ICU, but for hearts. Okay. Um, and they, run, they ran some more tests, which at the time I wasn't privy to the results of those tests. Uh, which I now know they tested me for blood clotting and I was positive for blood clotting as well, but they never told me. Wow. I'd like to go ahead, keep going. I'd like to revisit that. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It's important when we get further down the story, Mike, Uh, Ryan. it's it's terrible. Um, So yeah, so um, they did some tests and then they started to scan my lungs and do lung scans, which I didn't know. Um, And then they looked, they were looking at my heart. They kept me in hospital um, and they turned around to me and said, we think you've got Brugada syndrome, which is like a, an athletic, it's a genetic condition that you people can drop down dying with. Um, a lot of athletes get it as well. So they said to me, we're not a specialist ha- hospital here for hearts. We're going to have to send you to someone who understands heart rhythms, etc." cetera. Um, so then they discharged me home uh, to go to this hospital at a later date. 
Um, and then to cut that to cut that story short, um, I went then and got the scan of my heart, and then they were absolutely bamboozled. And they said to me, we expected to find um, like a cardiomyopathy of my heart or some some structural change in my heart. But on the scans, they couldn't find anything. So they said to me, we don't know the cause of what's caused it. And then they actually said it was never, ever considered that it was the vaccine. I didn't even consider it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they said to me, you might have a problem with your adrenal glands. It could be your thyroid. They said it must be something else in the body that's throwing your heart rhythm off. And that's what they left me with. They discharged me and said, go back to your GP um, and see him and see what tests he wants to run. And that's where they wow. left me. Wow. And so that means both the original, the, the, the GP and the doctor they sent you to both have information in front of them that proves that you had blood clots or that, you, that, you had, that something showed positive for blood clots, correct? Suspected. It would, it, would, it, would invest, it would lead you to suspect that, yeah, and more investigation, yeah. And so in your opinion, what, why do you think this was ignored and not told to you? Well, what it was, uh, Ryan, is I've done a lot of research now, so I don't know why they never told me, but in the UK, they don't tell you your results. So unless they, they basically dictate your healthcare to you. So unless you request your results, which you have to do in writing, it takes like six weeks to get the results of all your tests. They, they don't like to share them with you. What do you why um, is so, that? If you, if you, if you know, I mean, that's very, from an American perspective, that's, I mean, that almost, it's a very, it's the same point as before. That seems not in the best interest of the patient, but the system. Yeah. Now I've had a lot of um, heated discussions, should we say, since then with consultants for running my care, when you get to the rest of my care, you'll, you know, it'll make your hair drop out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <laughs> um, and I think what it is, is, um, I think they're scared of being sued is all I can think of. You know, I think it's a way right. of uh, a little bit of, if there is any incompetence or anything that can be questioned, it's a way of them uh, locking it down. That's the only thing I can think. I mean, that yeah. that's quite damning for me to say that um, I'm, you know, I'm willing to be wrong if someone wants to correct me. I, I mean, look, I don't think that's even a, a, a contentious statement. I mean, we're literally talking about people who have an Hippocratic oath, the argument being that they're supposed to do everything possible in the best interest of the patient. And n- even the possibility you could have a blood clot, that could be immediately life-threatening. They know that. And yet to not inform you of that, I mean, that that's choosing to keep you at risk for their benefit. That's my, I'm saying that, but that's exactly what it is. And I just find that to be hard to wrap my mind around. But it, well, like, what I will but, say in their, their only defense, if in case there's anyone with any medical knowledge listening, uh, Ryan, is they did do what's called a CTPA scan, um, mm-hmm. which looks it's a CT scan of my lungs. Um, now, they said I didn't have any PEs on that, which are large blood clots. OK, now, if anyone knows about COVID and long COVID now, um, what, what we're realizing here in the UK and, and the doctors that are, are finally learning about, you know, vaccine injury and COVID um, it massively involves a blood clotting component that carries on and on and on. Um, so the hypothesis is that it's been starting to be proved quite a lot now in the research mm-hmm. is there's this microclotting cascade. Right. Now on a CTPA, it doesn't show up the microclots, but there's a, something called a, v, a VQ lung scan that does show these microclots up. Um, so at this point, to be fair to them, they, they, you know, ignorance, they didn't know that, but they didn't look any further if you like. Yeah, that's and that's a fair statement. I really appreciate your objectivity. I mean, it must be quite difficult from your perspective to, to remain objective in the giving them the benefit of the doubt. But that's that's the right way to go about this. But so you're, regardless, 
I argue there's still a, you know, it, it just, it appears as if there's something influencing these decisions where as opposed to doing, you know, what's honest and what's just to get to the bottom of it, there's something else influencing decisions about whether it's adding to vaccine hesitancy or, you know, we've heard all these conversations and we know to some degree it is influencing things. I'm not going to say whether this happened there or not, but I hope we ask that question. That's all. So yeah. going from the blood clots and, and in general, or the, or excuse me, the discussion of the possibility and then handing you back to the GP. So please continue. Yeah. So if I try and condense this period, so from, so they discharged me in about June, July of 2021. And they said to me, your heart's fine. We can't find the cause, but in the meantime, you know, go to an endocrinologist, see if there's something wrong with your hormones or adrenal glands so I, I went and did all this and I went to see someone and he just wasn't interested one little bit. He said he ran a few tests, did a few bloods. Um, he just said, no, nah, there's, there's no real problem there. You know, see you later. There was no interest. Mm. Um, so this time, you know, I'm a person that exercise, I've exercised all my life. Um, so I tried to carry on exercising and physically I was like, I was at like 30% of my capability and my heart kept going into this abnormal rhythm. Mm-hmm. So something wasn't right. And then I started to develop even more symptoms, Ryan, and I started to get really concerned. So I started to develop um, uh, really bad cramps in both my calves, but they were continuous cramps. I just woke up one day with cramps in my calves. Uh, my vision was blurred. Um, what else was I getting? I was, oh, sorry. And I, I was lying down. I was getting vertigo in bed and hmm. tinnitus in my ears. So I started to get right. more and more symptoms. It, it was just unbelievable the amount of symptoms I was getting. So I went back to the very same doctor who in the start had told me it was anxiety and said, look, you know, I've got this problem in my heart. We don't know what's causing it. No one's getting to the bottom of it. I've got tinnitus. My vision's blurred. I've got pains in my calves. You know, I said, like, what's going on? What are we going to do? Um, <laughs> so he said to me, I'll send you to a neurologist to have a look at your legs. So Wait, I said, said, okay. Said your, he said at your legs? Yeah, because I was getting these horrendous pains in my legs and cramps. Oh, for the cramping. Legs. Okay, got it. Okay, please Yeah, continue. but also also because I was getting vertigo in my head. He said, oh, maybe that's a migraine. Huh. Yeah. So so at the same time, though, again, he said to me, I feel like an absolute idiot. He said, I still feel, though, you're really anxious, and I think it's depression. He said, so he said, can we try these tablets one more time? So I tried these tablets because I was that desperate. Yeah. What, I mean, what an idiot I am. I, no, I mean, I, 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 I trust me. I would be saying the same thing in your position, but it's, it's much. Sure, everyone's going to have their opinions, and everyone's, you know, is an expert in their own right. But nobody knows what it's like to be in the position. You know what I mean? And, and you want to yeah. trust the people yeah. that you've had in your life this whole time. So, you know, I, I know you know that, but I just want to. It's not. I don't think it's appropriate yeah. to say you're an idiot in this case. I mean, you're trying to figure <laughs> out the solution to an impossible problem when nobody seems to be interested in helping you. So, <laughs> please continue. Well. I, th- I think I think the moral of the story is um, it's easy in hindsight, and also right. you know, had I researched and gone on Twitter or seen stuff that wasn't censored, maybe it would have dawned on me at that point. Right, and ex- exactly, and that's that's the worst part about this is there's a there's a controlled, aggressive control over the flow of information at a time when that when nobody seems to know what's going on. At least that's the story, and controlling information seems counterintuitive, right? But so was there any of these doctors ever asking or in trying to insert that COVID was the issue? No, 
That's so interesting because a lot, I, a lot of I, the I symptoms overlap with COVID-19, like a tinnitus. And they, there's a lot of argument that that COVID causes these things, including the heart problems. So there's, I, I would be almost expect that there would be somebody that would be trying to test or so on, but maybe they saw your previous tests and excluded it. Well, they, they, they weren't privy to those previous tests because they were hmm. always done, you know, um, like I say, in, in a sports organization. But anyway, um, so I, I went to see the neurologist in January of 2022 of this year. Um, straight away, he just said to me, um, you know, I, I want to do a brain scan on you and scan your spinal cord. I'm worried that you might have MS or something that, that could be the cause. Um, so he sent me for a brain scan, um, went to see him in the, um, March, the beginning of March 22 with the results. Um, and he said to me, he said, yeah, your brain scan's fine. Um, he said, you know, I'll do some nerve conduction tests, test the nerves in your legs and your, your hands. Uh, which he did, um, and then he said that he said you've got a little bit of neuropathy going on, um, but other than that, you know, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, kind of thing. And again, he 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 offered me. You would not believe this. Guess what? You know, I mean, guess what he offered me? Right. He offered me antidepressants. Ah, uh, yeah, I would. I could have expected that. I mean, so when he, when he says neuropathy, what exactly is the diagnosis there? What, what is he implying? Right, so they, they did what's called nerve conduction studies. Um, so he, he said, I've got small fiber neuropathy in all my legs, so I couldn't feel temperature, um, which is obviously new. Hmm. Um, and then they also tested it in my arms. Um, so I have real trouble writing nowadays, so I can't type for long. Um, so all my fingers contract like this, Ryan. Um, so I've got neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy into my my hands. Well, for for those that aren't aware, what explain what neuropathy is for the average viewer? Just is it just yeah. a neurological problem for for the? Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a neurological problem. It's basically the signals to your muscles, um, you know, don't arrive properly from the nerve because mm. the nerve is essentially damaged or inflamed. Now, it can be a number of reasons that damage the nerve. It can be circulation, which is most likely because of COVID, right? So you'd be thinking, you know. If you were a doctor, you'd put two and two together, right, by this stage. Mm. Or it could be, you know, it could be like a toxic neuropathy. There's there's, there's many causes of neuropathy, but the, the most obvious one in my case, because I didn't have MS, would have been a vascular cause of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, so he just said, you know, take these epilepsy drugs, take these antidepressants. I'll see you later. Now, I said to him, I was absolutely furious, Ryan. So I said right. to him, I just said to him at this stage, I said, do you, I said, do you think this is caused by the COVID vaccination? I said, because I've started to read quite a lot of people with very similar symptoms. So this guy, um, a professor guy in the UK, very well respected. Um, he said to me, very, very pleasant and blase. He went, he said, yeah, it could be. Um, he said, yeah, it could well be. He said, but then he said to me, he goes, the trouble is, he said, we still don't know what's caused Gulf War syndrome. And that was it. That was his parting comment to me. It's see, yeah. to me, I, you know, there's a lot of ways people can read into that. First of all, it's frustrating that that's why, if he thinks it's possible, that was never brought up in the conversation or any of these people when they know it's certainly like just for, my, my whole audience is well aware of this, but even right now with the time frame we're talking about beginning of 2021, I believe we're at right. And, and the idea being that at that moment, we know for sure that it's possible especially AstraZeneca can, can cause heart problems. Like it was admitted to, but it was a very rare thing they said. Well, that's not the case, the data today. Regardless, if it's a possibility, that means they should have considered it. 
you know, and that means it's being ignored as a possibility. All these things are important to understand. I just, but the idea that they would prescribe you things like antidepressants, let's say that even right now are being shown to not even be effective in new research that are coming out. I don't know if you saw that, by the way, it's just, it, the, um, the, pro yeah. the problem with the medical system is they fall into these cycles of just doing, you know, what they're taught is the right thing and not really adapting to the new in, you know, even peer reviewed science and new information. It's, it's frustrating, but even the Gulf war syndrome, and we could talk about that for an entire show. That's not even accurate, in my yeah. opinion, but <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. It, it is incredible. I mean, my theory is these guys are that busy, you know, that they just don't take the time to keep up to date. Some of them, or they, don't, they literally, maybe they're just so busy they don't want to take the work home with them. Maybe they just don't care, but I, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. It is. Well, I would argue personally, again, that it's the system itself from like a governmental part down yeah. where they're being allowed to be that way and, and there's no one pushing them to be more because it's it's a self-serving kind of idea but you know we can go off on that forever the, 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 i think everybody's becoming quite acutely aware of that exact problem today but so so continuing forward then so now you're at a point where you've yeah. been prescribed antidepressants they're basically insinuating that it's in your head right so yeah. what happened then so so obviously when he prescribed me antidepressants i nearly took them and shoved them up his ass you know <laughs> I, I said to him you know I said, look, I said, you're insulting me now. I said, you've clearly not looked at my history. Right. Uh, I said, I've been down this route. I said, you know, I've tried this. Um, and then he just said to me, I'm sorry, you know, there's there's not really much you can do. But the interesting thing that um, I, I will mention at this point, which makes my story even more unbelievable, is it actually run some bloods on me, this guy, to see whether, you know, there was a bit of an autoimmune um, cause of it, which mm -hmm. I didn't know. Um, because they didn't show me the test results. And he also ran some tests for blood clots called protein CNS, which is part of a thrombophilia screen because mm -hmm. I had pains in my calves, right? Right. But I didn't know he'd run these bloods because I was just taking bloods and then he gets the results back. So then I get he says he can't help me in March 2021. Um, I get iller and iller into April, April 22, sorry. Um, I go to my doctors in a taxi. I just said to my doctor, I said, you've got to help me, man. I said, look at me. My eyeballs were bright yellow by this point. I had a rash mm. on my face. Um, I was really breathless. Um, so my GP sat me down and he went, I said, you look really ill. He says, I, I, I believe you. So he took, he took my blood pressure and everything and he went, well, your blood pressure is fine. So he said to me, I suggest you go to A&E. And I said, yeah, but I said, they keep just saying it's in my head. I said, right. so I was like, what, what do I do? So um, he said to go to a &E. I didn't go to a &E, if I'm being honest at this point. I just went home and I, I just put my head in the sand. And then mm. I continued to get iller. And then I got into May, uh, the end of May 22. So just gone. Um, I ended up collapsing with blood clots um, and getting taken into hospital. My God. And for those that aren't, A&E is the emergency room in, in the UK, right? That's just the terminology. A&E yeah. is ambulance and emergency, right? Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> It's yeah. just, it's just amazing that we, so, so it ended up being exactly what almost every single one along this process had an indication was happening, blood clots. And so what, what was the full yes. issue? So blood clots were, were where, where, where were they discovered? Oh, the story gets better, Ryan, where oh, it, honestly, if someone had told me this as a medical professional, you would not believe it. So I, I got taken in. I don't remember the first two days because I was in and out of consciousness and um, I remember them waking me up and they thought I had a stroke because I couldn't control the arm down my left side and my arm. And then they obviously, I remember waking up and when I first start realizing what was going on, 
and it was two days later and I was on a cardiac ward because of my cardiac history. They put me on a cardiac ward. Um, so I spent, um, I spent like a week on that ward waiting to see a consultant. Um, he came round um, and then decided he's going to send me for an echo ultrasound of my heart. Um, did an ECG gone of my heart again. Um, came back two days later and said to me, there's nothing wrong with your heart. I remember you from last year when you was on ACU. Wow. Um, he said to me, I think, I think you've got problems with anxiety. Oh my God. And so yeah. this is while they know there are blood clots. No, they hadn't found the blood clots there. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, so that was prior to the blood clots and you collapsing. Sorry. I collapsed. I had the blood clots, but they didn't, hadn't found them yet. There. Oh, I got you. So, okay. Sorry. We're, go ahead. Please continue then. Sorry. It was how I told the story. No worries. Yeah. So I collapsed. The, I ended up on a cardiac ward, checks my heart. There's nothing wrong with your heart. So I said to him, I was able to speak in sentences again. I wasn't when I collapsed. I couldn't breathe. Hmm. Um, I said to him, look, man, I said, look, I said, there's something seriously wrong with me. You don't know me. I said, I'm begging you. I said, you need to find out what's wrong with me. So he said to me, no, he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. He said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. So I, so I said to him, look, um, I said, I want you to rescan my heart. I said, I want an MRI scan of my heart. Right. And he said, no, you had one last year. Nothing will have changed. Wow. So I turned around to him. I turned around to him and said, look, I said, I'm not leaving here. I said, until you scan. I said, scan my lungs then. I said, scan my lungs. I said, I want to know what's going on. So the consultant, he's a consultant cardiologist. He said to me, okay, he said, I'll scan it. Yeah. To give you peace of mind. He said, but I'm telling you now, you won't, we won't find anything. Um, so then he sends me for a scan the next day. Lo and behold, it comes back. I've got three large PEs in my lungs. Um, I've got multiple pulmonary emboli. I think the report was saying I had not hundreds, but like lots and lots of small emboli. They said a third of my lungs were dead and not perfusing. Oh my God. What did he say at this point? The yeah, doctor. what did he say? I never I yeah. never got to saw him again, Ryan. He sent me to tell me. Wow. That's that, that are you, I hope, you know what? I don't even care. That guy's a coward. <laughs> that guy, that's that, in yeah. my opinion, that is absolutely disgraceful. And that, that is anyway, I, I have a hard time not feeling personal about these things today. I have a lot of personal, you know, people have been in your similar situation. It is unbelievable that that's even taking place. I don't know. I don't think anybody can hear the story thus far and not think there's some level that there is dishonesty here. And that's a very nice way to put that. I tend to think it's seeing a little more, you know, malicious, but the, either way that people are knowingly not taking action here. And I just, I have my opinions, but I would love to know what this is. What's, what is the, the fear or the coercion that's happening behind the scenes that's causing doctors to ignore stuff like this. I just don't, or, or maybe it's always been like this. I don't know, but it's, this is not okay. It's unbelievable. It truly is. Um, so at this point, um, they then decide, um, that they don't want me on a cardiac ward. They want me on a respiratory ward. So they wanted to get rid of me as quickly as they could because, you know, you know, because I'd found with these PEs and I'd created this fuss. But at this point, they're still telling me it's not vaccine injured in this hospital. They're still telling me it's not down to the vaccine. You know, I'm telling them, I'm saying this is all vaccine, this, and they won't, you know, some of them would privately admit it to me, but most of them wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. engage me. So, Go ahead. So they, they, they transferred me to a respiratory ward. Um, I'm in absolute agony, um, Ryan. And um, they put me in a side room and put me on IV morphine basically day and night. Hmm. Um, 
my chest pain was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I cannot say how much pain I was in. I mean, I'm still in pain daily, but nothing like anywhere near I was. Hmm. Um, so I got to see a respiratory consultant, and then this is where it gets even more ridiculous. The respiratory consultant then diagnoses me with pericarditis of my heart. Um, there you go. Sorry, please continue. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I, my audience is probably yeah. going. We expected that this entire time, you know. Just yeah, I, and of course we did. Of course we did. Um, I, I literally, I was in so much pain. I could not lie flat in bed. I couldn't lie at 45 degrees. I would sit up, sit up in the hospital all night long, in a chair on a. There'd be a table, a patient's table. And I'd be like this. And I was literally crying with pain and up into wired up to an IV morphine. I mean, I'd never had a prescription for painkillers in my life. And, you know, this morphine wasn't even enough. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I was in the hospital for nearly four weeks at this point, um, and I wasn't really getting much better. Mm-hmm. Um, they're telling me now that, you know, it's only a bit of pericarditis and it's only the blood clots and I should be getting better. Wow. Um yeah, so the staff then were starting to get quite rude to me, the nurses and things, saying you should be going home by now. That's like, I, I was going to so add you, that in in the, the one of the things that I've seen in the experience for other people in your position is that a lot of the the nurse level get or even you know from the hospital in general get they their entire demeanor changes about the way in many cases I'm talking about when somebody offers up the possibility it could be the vaccine, despite again the fact that this yeah. is possible and they've admitted that it's possible, however rare. But yet the moment that yeah. it's like, could this be the vaccine? Everything changes. And I've, I've seen that in my personal experience. And again, that doesn't make sense if it's an honest engagement, in my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, th- this hospital is saying to me, you know, we need this bed. You're a young, fit guy. You know, you're on the medications, right? You're on heart medication. You're on blood thinners. You know, we want you to go home. And I'm like, I don't feel well enough to go home. I said, I can hardly... You know, I was barely able to walk to the bathroom. I felt like I was going to collapse every time I walked to the bathroom. Mm. Some days, right, you know, it's for someone like me to have someone to have to wash me, you know, it's quite a pretty big thing to lose your dignity to, you know, you know, you've got sick guys who are, you know, in their 80s, you know, older guys next year and they're having to come and wash someone who's in the 40s. Mm -hmm. It's it's quite a big thing. Um, And I'm going, look, I don't feel well. So they said, look, we need this hospital bed. You need to go home and discharge me, basically. So they paid for a taxi and sent me home. Um, And then what happened then was um, over the course of the next four weeks, I had to call an ambulance out nine times because I thought I was going to die. Wow. Yeah, I mean, my again with the research we've done thus far, pericarditis being the outer part and myocarditis being, yeah. you know, the, the my audience is well aware of of the very severe risks that come along with even a a, a non fulman non severe version of either. It's there's there's I mean NIH studies over years there's a very clear my, the dat, the stats off the top of my head I think for myocarditis were twenty five to fifty six percent increase in more in mortality even with non-fulament cases, you know, and the point being that I, like even Dr. Drew, by the way, in the United States, probably, you know, internationally is pretty well uh, acknowledged as a, you know, mainstream entity in, in the medical mm-hmm. field and is now completely shifted his tune and is in, is talking on the other side of this on his podcast saying that these are hurting people. And he's the one that said this, he said, look, before COVID-19, people tend to say myocarditis and kind of encapsulates both, you know, but he's saying that myocarditis before this 
you had any case of myocarditis, it was like rush to the hospital. You're in serious risk. And now it becomes, Oh, it's just a case of myocarditis. You know, these kids are having, this is, it's just, that's crazy to me that these people can have on a dime shift their perspective. Right. So, and here we are. So go ahead. Yeah. And and, and the scary thing is, Ryan, is, you know, if you've got some younger person in the twenties that scars the heart, you know, you know, they decrease the heart function for life. So, right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so the dilemma for the consultants as well there at the hospital when they chucked me out was like I was on um, medication for blood thinning and I was on anti-inflammatories for my heart. Now, with pericarditis, you should never really ideally be on blood thinners because there's a risk of um, what you could call a, creating a bleed underneath the pericardium that then needs a surgery that's an emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. So they're never keen to combine, combine both medications together for that reason. Interesting. And so why do you think they did? Do you have any insight on that? Knowing that it was... Well, because I obviously needed them, you know, to, to mm. save my life, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so I, it was the risk. All right. Oh, okay, I, I got you. It's okay, so now you, you get treated with this, you get sent home, even though it's clear that that's probably not, yeah. the, that's not the right action. And then you nine times, you said, nine times an ambulance had to come get you or that they went to your house? No. So they went... I, I literally, by this stage, the pain where, where I was screaming in the bed and everything was was just so it was so bad it was like things aren't right here yeah um so i kept phoning an ambulance um i went back a couple of times they'd take me and then they'd just go it's just pericarditis pericarditis (laughs) isn't as painful someone even accused me of being one of the staff said to me they thought i was a drug addict and i just wanted morphine (sighs) i can't it, it just pains me to hear this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it's, these are people that are supposed to be dealing with, you know, you're struggling and they're there to help people in this position. And instead, yeah, it's just, they're doing anything but, but helping you. And it's just around this topic. I just, it just means, even if that's, I mean, we know that's something that does happen. They're out there, but should these things need to be confirmed? I just feel like this is a willful choice to sidestep something that is contentious, you know? So, so what, what happened next? So you're at a point now where, you're clearly yeah. still struggling. They're kind of disregarding your problem. What happens next? Yeah. So listen, like the, <laughs> I'll add this in, but quick. Mm-hmm. So in no, the please, UK, take right, they have, a, they, have a, they have a government agency, right? And they knock on my door, these two nurses, and say to me, we've been sent from the hospital because you've called out an ambulance eight times over the last year or whatever. So I said, right, yeah. yeah. And they said, well, we're coming to, we need to stop you using the ambulance and to see whether we can help you. So I was like, I was like, fantastic. So they actually sat down. They sat down with me, right, though? And then they looked at me, assessed me, looked at all my records and went, you're a very sick man, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that's what I've been saying. Yeah. Um, so then they actually <laughs> Sorry said to laugh. Me, I'm just like, this is just almost impossible to believe. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it is. So they said to me, look, if you keep getting as bad as you are, as we can see you are, phone the ambulance. So I was like, <laughs> that's what I've been doing. Right. My God. So anyway, uh, I, I was hanging on in there every night. And then, yeah, one night again, ridiculous. I just thought, I'm going to go here, do a die at home or do I take my chance in the hospital. Hmm. Phone the ambulance. They took me straight to this hospital again. And they, they, they saw how bad I was. And they took me straight through onto an emergency ward and put me on an emergency ward. Yeah. And um, so- basically there. Good. Yeah, and then that's when, you know, I really thought, you know, I thought, yeah, I, I thought I was going to die. I was I was in a bad way. 
Um, luckily, I, I was on there for about another week again, and then they discharged me again. Um, I was a little bit better, still nowhere near right, but they just told me it was the same, pericarditis, blood clots. So, I, Please don't tell so me that's point, where the story resolves. Are you tell, so it, is there, did it ever come no, to a no. point to where they acknowledge your problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on, the, okay, please, on, that visit, <laughs> on that visit of that week, you know, I, I, I was that pissed off by this point. You know, my life's flashing in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going, you know, I'm, this is bullshit. I'm saying this is bullshit. I said, this is vaccination. I said, you know it is. I know it is. And then, you know, they started to admit it and go, yeah, we've seen a lot of people. We've seen people with strokes. Um, so they started to admit it to me and they just turned around to me and went, we're sorry, we, we, we don't know what to do. This is a new thing. We don't know how to deal with it. You know, th- that response at the very least is honest. Like that is better than being told you're crazy. I mean, the problem with being gaslit the whole time, whether they know they're doing it or not, is it tends to create the very thing that they're claiming is happening. Like imagine the psychological trauma. I mean, you know, going through a process where you're struggling. I can't even imagine the kind of pain you're discussing and, and, and nonstop day in, day out kind of a problem or intermittent throughout the day and being told that it's all in your head and going in and out and having them come to your hot, to your house and say, stop using it. Oh, but you're right. Keep using it. Like it's just, it's confusing and it leaves you in a position where you feel helpless. And that's exactly what creates the anxiety, the depression, you know? So in a way it ends up creating the very same thing. And it's just, it's, it's it just, it makes me upset for you to hear this problem. Yeah, I mean, at this point as well, to put it into perspective, I couldn't even put the garbage out to the end of the, you know, the end of my driveway in my house. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't even walk that far. Um, so yeah, I'm in the hospital. Um, I'm telling them this is bullshit. Um, I'm, I'm saying I'm name dropping all doctors that I know that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I said you're treating me like I'm some sort of idiot. I said, you know, I know what's going on. And then they admit to me, yeah, blah blah blah. We don't know what to do. So I get discharged home again, Ryan, and then I thought, right, I need to take action here. You know, right. I feel like I'm dying. So I decided to do some research um, and I found who are the most, you know, the best uh, lung consultant, respiratory consultant in the UK. So I thought, right, I'll pay for a private opinion with this guy. So I'll pay him directly. Don't go through the government. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took my wife along with me um, and I just asked the questions. I just said, look. These are all my, he got all my scans from the hospital, all the tests that I'd had done. I said, there's all the information. I said, do I need to tell my children? I said, I said, do you think I'm going to die soon? I said, because I feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, do I need to tell my children? I said, will you please tell me? Um, and he said to me, he said, well, you're not well, he said, um, but I don't think you're imminently going to die. But I'm, I'm very worried about your heart. Um, so he did say straight away, he said, categorically, this is COVID vaccine induced that's caused all this. He said straight away, he said, I've seen it. He said, I've seen it a few hundred times. Wow. He said, you're around about the 239th person that I've seen with this over the last few months. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, I mean, so he's, he's very, I mean, I, I, I wonder whether this would have been done the same way if it was done through a practice. Not regardless, none of us could know, but either way, it's nice to, you know, it's, I would point out one thing that's going to be hard for the average person. We have to realize that not everybody has the access to the stuff that you do and the people that you knew, you know? So imagine what it would be like for the average person going through this, that just is left at their home and never know, you know, and real, and this whole process, you could have died 
in any moment just without because no one's really looking in to find the severity of it and the clots and anything else. These things could have happened for especially as you're working out, you're running. You know, as we find out more about this information, it turns out that's why we're seeing a lot of athletes collapse and so on, because it's it's causing, you know, that's what leads to those problems, as as you know, actually, that's your that's your background. So, I mean, Ryan, this is why I'm speaking out, because, you know, I I knew what was right. But even someone with my training and experience was getting told all this Mm -hmm. and getting told, oh, it's in your head. So, you know, if I can help anyone, you know, that's that's what I'm here for now. It's just so. So the other thing as well is to understand why I don't think the doctors in the UK said anything for so long was mm-hmm. they're paid by the national health system, which we pay into, which are the work. So they're paid by our government. So there's a conflict of interest of saying this is vaccination damage because, you know, if they say that and then I put claiming for compensation, you know, if they say everybody's vaccine damaged, right? Yeah. The, the UK government won't want to pay everybody all this money. And it also hold. There's also culpability there. It's a government program, yeah. right? So that that's a great point. And you know, that's now that, that I think that's the important thing to understand is that there is something clearly driving the willful ignorance in this in this whole discussion. So so what ultimately happened? So now that the doctor says clearly this is vaccine induced, I'm curious yeah. what he then did, did to treat you, if anything, and then what did you do with that information? Did you go show these other doctors? Did anything else happen after that? Yeah, so I've, I obviously got it all in writing, what he said, that it's mm-hmm. um, vaccine-induced. And then he said to me, though, you know, I don't think you're going to die from your lungs straight away, but I'm worried about your heart. I think your heart needs to be rechecked. He wasn't happy with what these guys had done with my heart. Of course. So he said to me, so I said to him, well, I said, can you recommend anyone? You know, who's the best guy in the country to see? So he recommended one of his colleagues, um, and then I paid again to see him, um, um, which was a couple of weeks later. Um, I paid to see him and then he basically said, he said, you need to be in hospital. He said, you shouldn't be at home. Um, So he then said to me, um, he said, can you pay for all these tests privately? And it was something like 30,000. It would have been like $40,000, the equivalent. So I said, sorry, I said, I haven't got that kind of money. Mm -hmm. So he said, no worries. He said, I'll get you in on the government healthcare system um, and I'll bring you down to my hospital in London. Nice. Um, and that's what happened. So he transferred me down there and took me down there for a month. And what what was um, the treatment? Did... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So obviously the first concern was my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did various tests on my heart. Um, they they went through the scans on my heart. Again, they did an ultrasound scan, more ECGs to look at the rhythm. I, I did um, two cardiac MRIs. Mm. They also put my heart under stress. Um in the MRI where they injected something into it to make my heart go into a lot of stress to see how all the blood vessels were reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they thought that I had a uh, microvascular angina. So they thought all my blood vessels to my heart were clotted, but the little ones, not the big ones. Mm-hmm. And that was what was causing the pain. It was an ischemic heart pain. And obviously they wanted to see whether the pericarditis stroke myocarditis had scarred my heart as well. Right. So that was what they were most concerned about. So they did all those checks um, and then they also rechecked my lungs. So they looked at my lung scan again, and then they rechecked my lungs and said, actually, your big peas in your lungs have healed. They've gone. Hmm. So that was fantastic. But listen to this. So they then requested all the blood tests. You know, that I said to you, the neurologist back in March had taken the blood tests for my legs for clotting. Mm-hmm. Well, he never actually reported those blood tests to anyone. He got the results and didn't pass them on. 
See, this is what I was kind of talking about before is that, you know, even, even, I mean, yeah. it's different even in the UK that you don't get to see it, but the fact that that is not being dealt with, that's a choice, as you know, and this doctor chose not to, and I, I just want people to ask why that is. That's not in your best interest. It's, that's, that's a dangerous choice. Well, listen to this. So he, he didn't report it, and these guys found it in London and said, you've had these blood clotting things done. Oh. Um, so I was a, I was already at a high risk. So that these blood tests showed that I I probably, they're going to get, I've still not, I have to see a specialist in blood clotting disorders now with COVID in the UK. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I'm on blood thinners for life now because they think the vaccine has given me a blood clotting disorder. Wow. Wow, uh, so I'm still under investigation for that. But if they'd have looked at these blood tests in March, they could have seen that I was going to drop down with blood clots. It was highly likely. Right, but right. Nobody, and no, nobody reported on him. Exactly the point. And that, so that, that's a, that's, you could have died from that very severely. Yeah. I mean, that's a very severe issue, I mean. And that's something that's, that's, the, that's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, point blank. Yeah. So yeah. what was it? I heard there's a lot of uh, diagnoses in there, but is there any treatment yeah. being done? In of any kind, like to, to deal with the actual problem? Right. So we haven't got to the end of the, the diagnosis. Sorry. So, oh, no, please go so ahead. They saw me, they, they've checked my heart and again, bamboozled in my heart and just said, yeah, it's, it's COVID vaccine induced, but we can't find a structural problem causing your heart at this minute. Mm-hmm. So that's when these guys, very good guys, you know, international, you know, renowned cardiologist and lung consultant. They went, something's not right with this guy. He's super fit. It's COVID vaccination. There's something causing blood clots. You know, there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. So they started to dig deeper. Um, and then they, they did something called a CPET exercise test, which um, it's basically you sit on an exercise bike or you walk on a treadmill. I couldn't walk. I wasn't well enough. Um, they put a mask on, so they analyze your oxygen and your CO2. Mm-hmm. Um wired me up to an ECG in my heart, my blood pressure, and then put a cannula in my arm so they could measure my bloods. And they start to tell me to ride on the bike. And now I've got four doctors in a room and a professor looking at the screen. Uh, and the, 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 my, um, my lactic acid in my blood start to go off the charts. They've never seen anything like it. Lactic acid. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So I they, they, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they come to me a few days later. They've done a few more other bloods. Uh, and they sit me down and they said to me, um, we think you've got uh, myopathy. Um, it's, you've got COVID vaccine-induced myopathy, basically, which isn't... Um, he said to me, he said, I'll, I'll give you 10 minutes for it to sink in because he knows my medical knowledge. He said, and I'll, I'll come back to you and speak to you um, after that about it. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, for the... Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Please take your time. I, I was simply going to ask if you could explain what myopathy is for people, but please take your time. And I'm just, you have every right to be emotional about what this, what you're going through. It's incredible. Um, yeah, to, to be honest with you, uh, Ryan, myopathy isn't something that I've come across in my career before because I was working with professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and myopathy is quite, quite quite rare so there's there's different kinds of myopathy um there's genetic myopathies what a lot of sadly um tend to be generally more um more aggressive and serious where a lot of children are born with myopathies and um yeah and sadly don't live to a very long age you know maybe eight years ten years old might be an example 
so myopathy, they think it's a mitochondria myopathy. So it's a problem with um, uh, basically my cells um, aren't getting enough oxygen in there. I aren't getting enough cellular energy. So basically all, all my cells in my body are, are starting to, to die off. And it's, 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 it's in all your muscles in your body. So it's the smooth muscles of your heart, um, my lungs. Hmm. So, yeah, they, they did another test and they found like some of my lung muscles aren't working too great either. You know, I've got the lung muscles of a, like a, an old grandma, if you like, at this hmm. moment in time. Um, so they've said to me, I need more tests. Um, I have to have biopsies now to confirm what kind of myopathy I've got because depending on the kind, the, the kind they can give me steroids and autoimmune drugs, which might be able to slow the progression of it. Um, so at this moment in time, there's, there's probably three ways that it can go. Some people can have a relapsing remitting version, um, you know, which and they can live for a number of years. Uh, some people will just go steadily like downhill gradually. Um, and then some people have an aggressive version that will, um, unfortunately start to shut their bodies down, you know, um, thing, you know, quite quickly. Um, so yeah, so, um, I'm waiting for myopathies, um, on this NHS. It's quite an emotional time for me right now because, Mm -hmm. um, they basically said to me, you know, there's no real treatment for it. You know, it's, it is what it is. Um, they could give me drugs to try and slow it down, but they won't give me these drugs until I've had the biopsies done because if they give me the drugs and it change, it can affect the, what they look like under the microscope. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just, it's just a waiting game for these tests for me now and, and to see how I get on. Um, and yeah, and I'm just, um, yeah, I'm not doing too, too great to be honest with you. And that was why, um, you know, I've decided to speak out because, you know, I, one, I didn't want to, I just wonder if I can help anyone else going through the same process um, right. and and just spread some awareness because, you know, when we talk about the doctors gaslighting me and stuff, I don't fully blame them. It makes me angry and it's traumatized me, but I don't blame them as in the media has been so censored, right? That, you know, to me, I'm going to be controversial now, but this isn't controversial. I mean, to me, like this has been one of the biggest scams of all time that's, that's been pulled. I agree. You know, you know, pharmaceutical industry have extracted billions and billions of pounds from the governments of this world. The governments have been played, you know, like absolute idiots. Um, and then the governments have, um, you know, have, have played me and played us in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't prove any of that. And I'm, you know, I can't. So, yeah. So for me, it's just about, you know, this censorship's got to stop, you know, with all these people mm-hmm. dropping down. It's just like, it, I just want people to do the right thing, right? And, and um, yep. it's not about me anymore. It's not about me. And I don't want people to go through, you know, what I'm going through or, and been through. I won't wish it on, on anybody. It's very commendable what you're doing. I mean, you know, it's just, so I hate to, to ask just to, for defining. So at this point, you're at a point now where you don't know how much longer you're going to live. Is that, is that the reality of your situation? Um. Yes and no. I so they've said to me, you know, they haven't. They've told me what to expect, but at the same time, I haven't got it. If you know what I mean, it's not hundred percent mm. confirmed. It's highly, yeah. they they highly suspect it is the terminology in my um, documentation, hmm. um, and 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 
and all all I know, Ryan, is I don't know where the finish line is. As in, you know, every day I'd say, I, do, I am generally getting worse. I'm starting to, since they told me this, I'm starting to. You can't hear it, but there's days where I can't. It's affecting my muscles in my my vocal cords, and I can't mm. always speak. Um, it's affecting my hands, typing. It's affecting everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, I literally, you know, I could have. I hope I've got a long time left to live. Of course I do. I'm grateful for each day, even like this. Absolutely. Um, but but the reality is I, I don't know. And, and I guess we all don't to some degree. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a point to get you in contact with some people that I know that may, maybe you don't, and maybe that can in, in help you, you know, find some more insight, but you know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. It's in for you to be in the process you're in now and what you're going through now and yet be thinking of other people that speaks volumes. Right. And so I just hope people can see that it speaks to the kind of person that you are. And I think that's rare today. So if, if you'd like, to, if we can continue, if you'd like, what I'd like to ask yeah. you about the groups that you're working with and what you're trying to do, yeah. or rather just groups that you want us to talk about or, or, or shout out to that are trying to give people insight to what's going on and, and, you know, to what you're dealing with and a lot of other people are dealing with out there right now. Yeah. So um, for me, um, I'm one of those people, like when I get something in my head, um, I go for it and I don't, I don't give up. Um, and I decided it was the right thing to do um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I want to turn a negative into a positive, right? Um, so I'm part of a group in the UK called UK COVID Vaccine Family. Um, there's about 800 of us in the group. Um, they've supported me fantastically well. And without them, you know, I, um, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be here because of some of the mental strain you know there's days where you know people have to talk me off the ledge kind of thing you know you know it's got me down um and they they're trying you know those people in that group are trying gallantly you know they're writing letters we're we're all writing to our members of parliament so in the uk there's 369 members of parliament that are supposed to represent us we're going through all the official channels to get the government to listen to us and acknowledge us because we don't exist in the uk the mainstream media won't talk. They don't. They won't publish my story, right? Um, so my tweet, right, that you saw, that was a cry for help. It was like, look, this is going on. Um, so what? So what I realised, uh, Ryan, is there's only eight hundred of us in this group. You know what's eight hundred? It's not even a small small housing estate, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just also, showing your tweet. So go ahead, please continue. Yeah, no, thank you. Appreciate that. So why would these politicians that want to cover this thing up faster than, you know, they want this thing to go away as quickly and as silently as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Why would they listen to 800 people in my group? So I just thought, I've got to do something here. You know, it's not about me, it's about everyone. So I realised, you know, I'm quite a pragmatic person that I need help here, you know. I need I need the support of, of hundreds of thousands or you know, if I could, millions of people around the world. So I thought, you know, I keep seeing all these people. So there's great groups in the US called React 19. Uh, there's other hidden ones who are supporting people behind the scenes that have had to hide themselves on Facebook because mm-hmm. of the censorship, because they get right. shut down. So they're shutting down these people who are sick like me. Right. They're stopping their support. <laughs> so, you know, I've, yeah. I, I'm, one, I'm one person, Ryan, but for me, what I'm trying to do is I want to unite all these numbers of people together. But I've realized that because of this censorship, there's so many other people being shut down. So it's like, I need the support of the public. We need the support of the public. I'm not about misinformation. Anything I say, I'm willing to be, 
you know, I'm willing for someone to question me on and I can provide evidence and, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not telling, I'm not telling any lies or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me now is it's a crude tactic, but I've got a few things up my sleeve and I'm going to knock on as many doors as I can, but I just need people to start supporting these groups and seeing the reality of it. Uh, and basically listen and, and see what happens when it goes wrong, you know, yeah. you know, like look at, look at, look at me. So I'm, I'm basically crying out now and, you know, to get on shows like yourself, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, and, 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 and that, that's where I am. I, I've just started on this journey. I only put that tweet out over a week ago. Um, I'm speaking to some journalists in the UK who have been head of um, the major news channels in the UK in the time. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to reporters who've reported for 30 years. I'm saying, what's going on? I'm saying, why why can't, why won't someone publish my story? I said, I've got evidence. I've got documentation. Why won't the media publish it? They can't give me answers. They just keep saying the government and the Ofcom are shutting it down. So Ofcom who regulate our media. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're telling me they don't even know why. These people have spent 30 years, 40 years working for the media and they can't tell me you're shutting it down. Man. So it starts to make your mind wonder, doesn't it? You know, it does. I mean, I, I, I personally would say it doesn't even make you wonder. I mean, it doesn't matter what the <laughs> reasoning is behind it. There's, I mean, because that's the only un, that's the only unknown is why they're doing it. But what they're doing is very clear. They are stopping the flow of provable information for some reason, right? And that that's that's the reality. You have a doctor. Your doctor has written this down as COVID vaccine induced. Uh, it was myocarditis or pericarditis. Either way, the point is the doctor has verified this is because of the injection. That's that's that's, yeah. that's right there enough right, for them right. to publish that story. Right. And when I was at the hospital in London, about 10 doctors verified it. I've seen, yeah, yeah I'm not just saying it's one or two doctors. They're all right. saying it, so... Yeah. And so that that and so that's a choice by these people. And, and, you know, it's not just the UK media. I mean, the point is this is happening everywhere. You know, that's the sad reality. These are these groups that are being shut down on Facebook, which is the, that's that's what we were saying before. Imagine what it's like for somebody in those positions that don't have resources and then they lose their Facebook group. I mean, this is what you're talking about. I mean, this drives people yeah. into desperate positions and whether that's what they want or not, that's what's happening. And, it, and it's 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 very it's traumatic and it's sad. And I think that that's why what you're doing is so very important. Is I think what what want first, it's going to allow somebody out there who doesn't know this to say, thank God I'm not alone. There are other people that see what I'm going through, and then you know we'll include all this in the show notes where we can go the the, the groups you're working with, and I'll you know include anything else in there, and it'll give people somewhere some some hope to see that there's things that are happening and people like you that are standing up for them. And, and Ryan, you know we had we we had a member of the React 19 group in the U.S. Uh, sadly commit suicide last week we've had a number of people in our group, you know, I think there's been five now when our group was only 500, hmm. you know, and, and, and yeah, it's just, it, it should not be, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit raw at this moment in time, as in, you know, you, I really appreciate you trying to connect with all these groups and everything. Um, I'm screaming out to all these groups and I'm only one person, but if I could somehow, if we could all unite together, Right. Uh, and all work together, then we become more of a powerful voice. Right. Wholeheartedly agree. And, I, you know, I think that's I think that's a good place to kind of put a pin in this for now. I, I, if it's OK with you, Adam, I would love to talk to you again in the near future and yeah. follow up on this. I, I say yeah. let's do that, Adam. Let's start that. Let's yeah. let's make this happen and let's connect these groups and give somewhere, give people a, a, 
a home base to realize that there's people speaking up for them. Yeah, and I thank you and I salute you for having me on. I really, really appreciate your time, um, you giving up your time to do this. And and look, if you have any information, you know, any anybody you feel that you could connect me with, no matter how small, um, if it can help everybody, and I think I'd be very, very grateful. Hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, and, and anything that we mentioned, I'll make sure send me over those links. We'll put it in the show notes for everybody. Please reach out to me if you have any questions. I'll include Adam's information. You can reach out to both of us, and you know, the more people that can connect and realize that you're not alone. That, in my opinion, I think most people are to some degree now seeing this, and it's just about forcing accountability and action, and 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 honestly, to help save those people that are on the edge right now that may not know that we're here. It's that's just absolutely paramount. So thank you for being well, the, here, Adam. Go ahead. Yes. Sorry. The, the final <laughs> issue is, I mean, I should have mentioned it before, is people are developing all these chronic diseases off the back of the vaccine. The longer they don't get treatment and the longer they don't get acknowledged, the more of an issue it is. So that's for me, right? This needs to be done like yesterday. So I, I'm going at it quite quickly. Um, uh, and that's what I, you know, that's what I want. Um could you just tell me, Ryan, before you go, what's mm-hmm. the situation in the U.S.? Is it being acknowledged in the U.S. on the mainstream media yet? Or Well, it's, it's kind of what we were speaking to before, is it's this very slow drip acknowledgement of something that, in my opinion, I mean, not my opinion, something that's been proven by peer-reviewed science a, a year ago, let's say, is only just now going, oh, okay, it's it's happens, but it's one in a million or super rare. Like for instance, with myocarditis, the the most current peer reviewed research, the largest study I saw puts it about one in 3,500 myocarditis. And that's the Moderna injection at the high estimate. I mean, that's, that's unprecedented. That's incredible. And yet right now they're still selling you on CDC as one, one in a million or one in 2 million, you know, and that's peer reviewed science. I mean, the bottom line is it's being admitted to, but it's, it's not enough to help these people that are dealing with it because they're still no. going to the hospital and they're still checking for anxiety or depression or telling them that they, that they're conspiracy theorists for having these ideas in certain locations. Even now, this is the thing that I have the biggest problem with. Again, like we said, with the heart problem is they can admit that it's possible, but then never consider it as a possibility when somebody's dealing with it. How does that even make sense? There's dishonesty in there, no matter what. So that's yeah. where we are. Yeah. But I, I do see there's a there's a difference in the evolution of the, the information between the UK and the US. But we're both dealing with the same problem. It's just the suppression by people in power of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. I thought I thought, I thought so. But um, yeah, I mean, grateful for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I look forward to speaking with you again and, and, you know, just stay strong, Adam, because there's a lot of people behind you, a lot more than you realize. And I hope my audience will reach out to you in any way they can to help and support what you're doing. And, you know, let's let's stick together and make this happen. So thank you for being here. Well, yeah. yeah. And like I say, thank you for your audience. And we really do need you. So um, please, please support us. Thank you. Absolutely. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.